2: And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 56 of The Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with our friend Matt Homan about how to improve continuing legal education and get more out of your meetings.
1: Today's podcast is sponsored by Smokeball. Turbocharge your small law firm with case
2: management from Smokeball. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com lawyerist today. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to get your mind to do what it's trained to do, practice law. You need Clio. The leading legal practice management software to help take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. If you enjoy our show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast
1: to help us keep new episodes coming every week.
2: So Sam, this past week, uh, we released our 2016 best law firm websites awards. Woohoo! Yeah, very exciting. There's some beautiful small law firm websites around the world around the country
1: there really are i I noticed a lot of new websites this year i felt like a lot of law firms were out there finally updating things i saw a lot of mobile responsive sites finally Um, in fact i think the vast majority of the nominations were mobile responsive so
2: yeah i think we looked through 150 200 nominations of sites that were nearly deserving of the award yeah uh
1: yeah we got about 160 some nominations Um, and I, after calling the ones who weren't responsive, we were down to about 50 some. Um, yeah. And then, and then the top 10 will be out by the time this podcast launches and you'll
2: get to see the ones that we thought were the best of the, of this year's nominations. And what kinds of trends did you see?
1: You know, uh, I, not a lot of trends, uh, but, uh, a lot of catching up. Um, I felt like, um, a lot of websites that um, were new websites had been updated. Um, they look great. Um, they look modern, they look slick. And so I think um, the ones that stood out used to be the ones that are well designed. And now I think the ones that stand out are the ones that are, have you know, that look old and, and aren't mobile responsive and um,
2: are hard to navigate and stuff. So now you stand out if you don't have a good website.
1: Yeah, which is which is what I mean, that makes more sense. It's nice that the I think the legal profession might be getting a better rap um, in, in going forward because we actually look like we
2: know what we're doing with our websites for, for the first time in a while. Which is probably to say if you don't have a new and beautiful website, you're now in trouble.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and take some infra- inspiration from ours. But it's definitely time to update your website if you haven't done it in a while.
2: So if you're looking for our help, uh, our advice on how you can do that, you can click on the Websites tab at the top of Lawyerist, and we'd be happy to help you figure out a plan for your site.
1: Yeah, this is a free thing that we started doing because people kept asking us. Um, And so if you submit that, it just goes to Aaron, and he'll take a look at your needs and requirements and make a recommendation for a designer or, um,
2: or, or a way to get a website that will work for you. Yeah, and then you can potentially be in line for... The 2017, 2017, that sounds like the future, the 2017 <laughs> Best Law Firm's Websites Award.
1: That's right. Um, so, in the meantime, take a browse through the websites. There are our top 10, uh, as well as some honorable mentions. And um, I think you'll find some really neat, inspiring stuff in there. And um, and I just want to highlight my favorite one, which is Jenny Odegaard's. And yes,
2: huge disclaimer, she writes for us, so there's a giant conflict of interest um, is there but, though, like wasn't she nominated before she started writing for us, like the day after last year's contest was announced or something?
1: Yeah, I mean she we she she started writing for us and and of course, I went to look at her website and I I, I thought it was just one of the most creative, solo, uh, solo lawyer websites I've ever seen. and I, I love it. It's simple, it's striking. Um, and I don't think there's anything else like it out there. Um, she did a really amazing job, and and it, she had a, had a designer who's a friend of hers do the work, um, and it's I, I love it. It's a great website. So. Okay,
2: but seriously, doesn't twenty seventeen sound like the future?
1: Well, it it technically is the future.
2: Yeah, but it sounds like there'll be jetpacks and stuff by twenty seventeen. <laughs> That's so far. <laughs> People
1: will have to um, fly jetpacks into your website or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Okay. So my two takeaways are Jenny Odegaard has a great website and 2017. 2017.
1: And now here's my conversation with Matt.
0: Hi, I'm Matt Homan. I'm a recovering lawyer. I'm the founder of Filament and LexThink. I also am the founder of Invisible Girlfriend, uh, but I sense that's a story for another day.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm still proud of the fact that Invisible Girlfriend, uh, I, th- I think, broke ground uh, on an evening in Duluth when we were all having potentially a little bit too much to drink, so. You,
0: you, you got the pitch in Duluth. That that domain yeah. had been in my pocket for about five or six years before that.
1: I think that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And maybe you should say a little bit about Filament because I think Filament is the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today. So this is sort of like a turnkey conference space, right? Is that the idea?
0: It is. It is. So we have been uh, looking for events that we've done inside Filament, one of my other companies, even the LexThink events, and have always struggled uh, to find not only adequate space, but that didn't feel like we were getting taken to the cleaners. And so, Filament is, at least now, 10,000 square feet of space in downtown St. Louis. Uh, you can't rent the space by itself. You've got to buy the entire meeting from us.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, apart from the logistics, the food, the video, uh, all of the stuff that's kind of uh, table stakes for an event, uh, we also design your meeting, provide facilitation and give you creative ways for your team, for your group, for your conference attendees to think, meet, and learn together better.
1: And if I recall correctly, you've got all kinds of clever things built in. Like you were always annoyed that people were having laptops up on tables. And so you you built just enough room into the conference tables for the conference um, packet, which is apparently really cool. Uh, but there's no room to throw a laptop up on the table too. Is that right?
0: We're, we're trying to make things in our conferences as analog as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be this push to make to bring more and more technology into our conferences. But Sam, as you know, the moment you touch a piece of technology, it's a rabbit hole. You find yourself uh, disappearing uh, ostensibly to check that next session you want to go to. And the next thing you know, you know who's won that baseball game the night before uh, you've checked your Facebook feed uh, and did eight, and, and done eight tweets. So
1: well, and even uh, more than that, um, you, your brain processes things differently when you're typing as opposed to writing notes. Like it, it is less effective to take notes on a laptop. So even people who think that that's what they're doing, they're not absorbing things as well.
0: Well that's exactly right. And so much of our so much of our methodology is analog over digital, it's face to face versus online. So even if you think about laptops and and tablets to a bit of a lesser extent, they create a physical barrier between you and mm-hmm. the person sitting across from you. Uh and it's a secret conversation you're having with the world versus being in the moment with the people who you perhaps traveled uh, halfway across the country to meet.
1: So you're you're going for a mindful conference. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> Um, well, so that's the kind of the backdrop for what we want to talk about, because you have thought a lot about meetings and conferences and seminars and presentations and how they can be done better and more effectively. And, uh, you know, so it's 2016, um, and we've all been going to CLEs and attending conferences and having board meetings and other meetings for years, and they've just, they've never changed, um. But it seems like we could probably do something better with that. And you were suggesting to me before we hit record uh, that what we need out of meetings and conferences and things have changed over the years. So why don't we start with that? What is it that people want out of these things now that that we, we don't, didn't want years ago? Or how has that changed over time?
0: I, I, think, I think a bit of, of what we want now is what we've always wanted. And that's a human connection. It's meeting with our peers. It's talking to people who are like us who might have similar challenges that we have, what's changed is that uh, our excuse to go to a conference, even if we never talked to anybody, uh, we were introverted, we were shy, or we just uh, didn't know anyone in the room, we could at least satisfy ourselves that we made this trip, got on an airplane, rented a hotel room, grabbed the conference bag, and sat shoulder to shoulder and watching someone read a PowerPoint uh, because we learned something we wouldn't have learned elsewhere. Uh, there once was a time when conferences were really the only place to find that curated fresh content. Uh, if you could see me I, I have fresh in, uh, air quotes because it was decided oftentimes six months before the event, <laughs> uh, from people you may or may not have known who were experts in your field. And so, you know, I remember 25 years ago when I started kind of this practice of law thing for me, I would look around like, Oh my God, I never knew that. I would have never known about this person or never connected with these ideas What has changed is that the content is now ubiquitous. Uh, It's on every device we own. And I struggle to go to a conference, and and I go to very few because I can't stand them anymore, quite (laughs) frankly. Uh, And and I see someone speaking, and I'm like, oh, I could watch their TED Talk if they're famous. Uh, I could read their blog to know what they're thinking. I could follow them on Twitter. I could uh, follow them on Instagram to know what they had for lunch earlier in the day or what their cat looked like. All of those things that used to require a sage on the stage, a one-to-many uh, distribution of information, it now doesn't require us to get out of our, you know, to leave our living room.
1: So that, so that kind of the, if what you're going to a conference for is the same sorts of things that you could get by Googling or by following interesting people online, that's probably not a very compelling value proposition if you're a conference planner.
0: I, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, and, and yet yet we keep defaulting into that. Think about what you said in the introduction, Sam. As you said, you know, conferences haven't changed for 20 or 25 years. Can you name another thing of which that could also be said? <laughs> well, lawyers and, and, maybe, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, well, fair, fair point. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's the, uh, and it, I don't know that Henry Ford actually said this, but, you know, he's, if, I, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And people think about conferences and when they ask when they're asked what they want, they're like, oh, I want better coffee. Mm-hmm. I want faster Wi-Fi, frankly, so I can get more emails done while I'm sitting here listening to this presentation. Uh, they don't ask for more connection because they don't think it's possible. They've never been at an event where that ability to connect with their peers, to solve meaningful problems, to do any networking other than in a cocktail reception that truthfully is uncomfortable for introverts and intolerable for young women. That whole idea that I want something more is really hard to get. So, conference planners, you know, if I were Southern, you know, bless their hearts, keep on giving the people what they're asking for. And that's innovating around the edges. So, uh, tell
1: me more about the the connection piece because um, when I do go to conferences and they try to work in networking – Um, It's usually networking with a capital N, like you'll get networking time. And I know that conferences play with how much networking time you get. Some just let you do it for the five minutes in between sessions. Um, I think the International Bar Association um, builds in very long networking periods so that you can go out and actually have a meal with somebody. Um, But they seem to just be generally unstructured time where you're expected to mill around and I guess hand out business cards? like. How, what's a better approach to that connection time to facilitate those connections because to me that doesn't that doesn't feel good so I, I think
0: the real challenge is that uh, you assume that you have to have specific time set aside for networking because there's no way to connect during the otherwise meets of the conference right and so think about the traditional networking reception uh, it is it's booze and business cards
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know you're looking around trying to judge people on whether they can help me or whether I can they'll buy my products or services <laughs> Uh, And and the alcohol doesn't help, right? It fuels uh, oftentimes uh, misogynistic behavior. Uh, It is awkward. uh, And it's at the end of the day. And that, for me, is really the key. No matter, you know, whatever else you say about networking, the fact that you have to wait till the end of the day to connect with people who are almost exactly like you uh, is really difficult. So if I come to a conference, and I remember this deeply, one of my first uh, times where I was actually asked to speak, but even before then... I went as a solo lawyer was the Missouri solo and small firm conference. And I looked around the room and there were 700 at the time, probably 500 people who were exactly like me. Uh, Not necessarily my age, not necessarily my gender or my, or my race, but they were solo lawyers who were trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills next week.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Or they were trying to solve uh, the kinds of legal challenges I was solving and, and, and to not be able to connect with them in any meaningful way over figuring out the reasons why I came to the conference, that really weighed on me and, and has, and, and has been a part of so much of what we do. The smartest people in the room aren't the people on the stage, the people sitting next to you. And so the moment you have an opportunity to connect with them over content, to think about meaningful things, to solve hard challenges, the business cards come after that. Like, oh, by the, oh, we just solved something. We just did something creative. We just did something with purpose. By the way, I'm Matt. Here's my business card. Call me if you need anything. That kind of connection doesn't happen in a traditional networking events, And it really is sad in the sense that we still are basing a huge number of hours of people sitting shoulder to shoulder and facing the same direction, not knowing whether their, their future business partner might be next to them, Or that the person who just solved the thing that is keeping them up at night uh, is 10 people away and would be graciously, lovingly helpful uh, if you just had a chance to ask them that question. So, it
1: sounds like you are suggesting more of a facilitation approach where the role of the person in the front of the room is not to tell everybody else what to do, but maybe present problems and let the audience contribute their ideas about solutions or maybe workshop solutions or something like that? Is that kind of where you're going with that? I, I, it's, it's one of the things one, that we do. One thing, yeah. So I'll
0: give you an example. So think about the average hour-long keynote. You have someone on stage, uh, if they get started on time, uh, they talk for 55 to 57 minutes of their hour slot. They then go and ask, are there any questions in the room? And invariably, someone stands up who wants to be the expert themselves <laughs> And makes a statement with a bit of inflection at the end that is essentially, don't you agree with me? Right. If you really have a question, you're likely not going to answer it. And oftentimes, that speaker, especially at bigger conferences, is then whisked off stage uh, into the taxi back to the airport. Mm-hmm. The way that we're approaching at Filament in particular, the way we're approaching that same hour slot is we give that keynote speaker 20 minutes. If you can't make your point and tell your story in 20 minutes, you either are trying to tell too many things or you're not a very good speaker. And if they need their PowerPoint as a crutch, that's completely okay with us. But after that 10 after that 20 minutes is up, we have people at round tables sitting in the audience. They get five minutes of silence and they have worksheets. And the worksheets, as you suggested in our earlier at the introduction, are built uh, to kind of be big enough that laptops shouldn't fit on the table. hmm Uh, And they get to think about what they just heard. What did I like? What didn't I like? What were the challenges? How does this fit? Were there resources? Yada, 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 that sort of stuff. And then for the next 15 to 20 minutes, that table gets to discuss what they just heard. Uh, They get to think about it. The speaker can move around from table to table and answer specific questions if people have them. And then for the last 15 to 20 minutes, whatever's left in that hour slot, each table can ask a question. And if a table has agreed that this is important and something we want to hear about, then they can stand up and have the speaker answer. Hmm. And so even in that hour slot, just reimagining something that seems pretty obvious to me remarkably changes the dynamic in the room. It builds, quote unquote, networking, collaboration, problem solving, and thoughtfulness. It also designs uh, the time for introverts in particular to be thoughtful and think about what they want to say so they're not trampled uh, they're, you know, they're not trampled in the brainstorm. They're not trampled in the conversation by extroverts who just start talking uh, without knowing what's coming out of their mouth.
1: And I suppose there's nothing more terrifying than for an introvert or or even, you know, I guess I'm more of an extroverted introvert or, or the other way around or something. But I, I still hate just being thrown into a room and being told to network. Um, so this way you're giving people a thing to talk about rather than just saying, do networking.
0: That's right, that's right. I mean, we we have we have multiple versions of this same kind of underlying theme is that you give people something to talk about that is connected with the reason why they're there. Mm-hmm. If you ask people to share their favorite color, they might say something, but it'll oftentimes be dismissive. If you ask them uh, to talk about the time they went to the zoo uh, with their parents and saw their uh, saw the elephant, right? Uh, that's kind of forced. But if you ask them what their biggest challenge is in the next year, Or uh, the thing they're looking to spend money on uh, that they're not certain about. Or the uh, type of law they wish they could practice more. Those kind of conversations in a CLE environment are going to have no shortage of contributors at the table, both introvert and extrovert alike.
1: You know, you're touching on something that's always kind of bugged me when I do give presentations is that I get up, I say my stuff, and I like to think I'm okay at doing it. Um, But then I get down and somebody comes up and talks to me afterwards, and They've got a they've got a problem, or they've got a solution to a, something a problem that they've had, or they've got a completely different set of needs and requirements that I didn't address, and I can't go back up on the stage and talk about it again. Um, but like, but I've gotten this great input, and it sounds like what you're really trying to do is draw those things out of the audience so that you can put them in front of everyone and talk about them in real time instead of relegating them to um, you know when the speaker is gone and and there's no more chance for that. Um, idea, persons, or uh, input, and stuff. Uh, I like that idea.
0: Uh, that's exactly right. And 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 Sam, you are the best CLE speaker I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh shucks. Uh, you you, can go, <laughs> you go ahead and uh, just put that on the website right now. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, as someone who's been in that boat, it 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 is it's disappointing as a speaker, and that you're like, I don't get another bite of the apple. And and you know there might be ten or twelve people at the front of the stage trying to trade a business card and say, Hey, I loved what you had to say. But let's be honest, you, you don't hear from those people. You don't have time or they're afraid to ask. One of the other things that we're doing in lots of our meetings is building a lending library of experts. So what I would suggest, Sam, is that after you speak, uh, we might tell the room that from two o'clock to three o'clock that afternoon, you'll be available for 10 minutes uh, being checked out like a book. Huh. Uh, someone signs up, you get a Pomodoro tomato timer, you set it for 10 minutes and you can have a one-on-one with them. The timer goes off, the conversation's over. And the next person gets a chance to sit down and chat with you. These are all really simple things, but they don't fit in the grid uh, that is the traditional conference plan. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to change the, it's really hard to change how people perceive what's possible until they do it.
1: So there's a very well-known presentation format. Um, and in fact, um, one of the larger conferences for for lawyers that I'm not going to name uh, insists on it, which is the panel. Always having two or three or four more people and a moderator up on stage. Um, I hate panels. Uh, I have a personal policy not to be on panels. Um, <laughs> what? What's? I mean, is there is there a better way to get input from more than one expert at a time? In a, in a presentation or is it or is the better way just to like stop trying to have everybody up on stage all at once
0: I, I, it, it depends on what you're trying to solve for so there's multiple ways to, to solve the panel dilemma one of them is to actually have a really freaking good moderator who asks questions uh, I and in fact I just did this for a bunch of uh, a leadership event for ILTA of all things in Washington DC and we had a couple panels that were populated by you know senior executives and generals hmm. and we, I knew what they wanted to talk about, but I walked around the room kind of like Donahue and asked <laughs> questions and, and directed them. They, no one got a presentation. The, the, the challenge with panels, quite frankly, Sam, is that most people don't run panels as opportunities for the audience to engage or listen in on fascinating conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They look at a panel as three separate 20-minute presentations. Yeah, it's
1: taking turns talking.
0: It's taking turns talking. And what happens is in that three-person panel, just as an example, the first person goes 25 minutes. The second person takes four minutes to get their PowerPoint to work because they didn't plug it in and test it ahead of time. They then go 20 minutes, leaving the last person, you know, what feels like three to speed through their slides, apologizing all the way for how fast they're going. Mm-hmm. And there's no chance to engage them at all. When, when I see a panel, I think, first of all, lose the, lose the table with the white tablecloth, you know, the oh white God, yeah. drape, and put people in chairs and let them talk with one another. And when you can sit and listen, and it's hard to do, but when you can sit and listen on some fascinating conversations, you feel like a bit of a fly on the wall, as long as they're guided in the right way that can be an amazing format but it's one uh, that has disappeared because it's just as easy to say i can have uh 100 speakers at my event versus 20 or 10 or 5 by populating multiple breakout sessions with three people apiece hoping they'll bring their audience <laughs> of fans into the room I mean, and yeah. everyone leaves disappointed
1: i think the i think the best intention is is often you know we've got we want to talk about a thing and you know, let's say it's um, software, and so we want to have a Windows person and a Mac person up there so that we can get a round view of uh, of that that issue, whatever kind of software we're talking about. That seems like it has good intentions and could go well. Um, but then, but but often it seems like panels are a way to uh, honor people by getting their name on the program, uh, and but more, even more than that, it seems like moderators moderators are often sort of an honorary thing where you're trying to make somebody seem cool by putting them up there as the moderator. Um, but it, it sounds like you're actually advocating for somebody who on the conference committee should probably be the appointed moderator and take their job really seriously and really be the, the facilitator of the discussion, which makes a whole lot more sense to me. And,
0: and and let's be, let's be frank just because you are on the committee doesn't mean you're good at it. Right. Uh, being <laughs> able to moderate a panel is really hard. It's the same as any type of facilitation. One of the things that we've really tried to do is figure out how to scale facilitation. So you don't need, you have fantastic activities or exercises that are clearly defined and easy to understand that don't require a one to 10 facilitator to audience ratio. Uh, But in a panel, as an example, finding someone who's on the committee to moderate that panel, basically their job is to introduce the panel. And don't even get me started on having to read everyone's bio that's in front of everyone <laughs> before <laughs> the panel starts. It's like, my God, I can read. It's here in front of me. Don't make me read where you went to law school, because uh, I don't care.
1: I have a, I have a, I, I, when I speak now, I give people my bio, which is about three sentences. And I tell them that if they start mentioning anything about where I went to law school, Um, or my previous, where I worked, uh, the names of my firms, I'm just going to interrupt them and start my presentation. (laughs) Because nobody cares, and that's totally boring stuff. Uh, And they can find it on my website if they really care. Um, (laughs) So we're going to take two minutes from our sponsors, and then when we come back, uh, I'm going to try and get Matt to talk about how uh, the typical solo and small firm uh, conference planner uh, should start thinking about how to plan their
2: next conference. Wish there was a case management system built just for your area of law? Smokeball comes with over 200 different matter types to support the way you work. Turn case details into documents with automated templates, convert and email PDFs with just a click, and stay on top of every detail and task with workflow tools. Check out Smokeball for your small law firm and never miss a detail again. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com slash lawyerist today. Today, we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This
0: is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting, everything you need to run your practice. There, that's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the Law Practice Manager more Lawyers Trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844
1: clio Okay, we're back. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a conference planner. Um, maybe they're planning the next solo small conference in their state or in their city or something like that. Um, let's say they've gotten inspired to think about this differently. They're going, you're right, nobody wants case law updates. They can get case law updates. Um, we want to give them a unique experience that will help lawyers uh, that come build better, more effective practices Um, And hey, everybody's panicked about, you know, artificial intelligence and legal zoom and whatever. Um, So let's say we we really want to help them launch the next five years uh, strong in a way that they're going to be able to survive. Like if you were in that position, how would you start thinking through what kind of a conference to put on a day long conference to put on besides flying for St. Louis? (laughs)
0: <laughs> the, the CLE is interesting because the rules are so fractured from state to state. People mm-hmm. tend to think that an hour long uh, slot needs an hour long speaker. But so much of what we can do, uh, and we've already done a bunch of this, and I know that you've been involved uh, even on the One the idea, is, is people want shorter conversations. They want shorter presentations. So uh, there are probably four or five simple things that person could do, some of which are already being done. One is to really drive shorter presentations, uh, and let people who find an expert on stage connect with that expert elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So as an example, one of my favorite formats is uh, imagine 20 or so people literally saying, here's the thing I did in my practice last year that had the most meaningful impact on my bottom line, or perhaps even more interesting, here's the biggest mistake I made, assuming the regulators aren't in the room. And they get up, they get a minute or less, they get no slides, uh, but after they're done with their presentation, they then say, I'm at table seven. And the next person says, and I'll be at table eight. Hmm. And so you're driving this, and and it could be anything. It could be marketing. It could be client service. It could be it could be specific case law related or practice area related. But what I want to do is I want to hear from those 20 or so people in a very short amount of time, check a box and say, man, that Sam guy is doing something pretty cool. I want to make certain that I chop, stop at his table, look at his marketing materials, if that's what we're talking about. Or perhaps find him, buy him a drink, and ping him and get a little bit more information. And just even in that that format alone, you're doing a couple things. One is you're actually turning over uh, the content to the crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fresher, tends to be. It also doesn't require the kinds of preparation. So there's lots of people who will not agree to do a CLE CLE performance or presentation because they're deathly afraid of either taking the time to do it well or... To be on stage for that hour. Or they might be modest and say, I don't really have that much to say. That kind of model where you're giving people very, very short presentations and allowing them to be experts in much more comfortable situations for them uh, is a place that I would put in every CLE.
1: You know, I, I you're reminding me of the One, and I've been a good-natured heckler of your One because I really love it. Um, but uh, I think the first time that I went to that, uh, or maybe the second time, I, I did a series of posts uh, with, that was just one sentence summaries of each presentation. And I think that was actually based on something that you had said a long uh, before, time before that, which was that if you can't get at least one sentence of good advice or information or an idea out of, um, out of a presentation, then it's been a big failure. And you probably won't get more than one or two things out of even an hour long one. And it, But how long does it take to get out one good idea or one good point? 10, 20 minutes sounds about right to me. Right. Um, so breaking it up like that is that is, uh, sounds like a pretty cool way to spark ideas and the, conversations.
0: And the other thing that, that, that I would add to the mix, uh, just as a very simple thing, is the idea of an unconference. Lots of times uh, people think about unconferences and it's a scary sort of, oh, my God, it's a meeting without an agenda. But there's room in every conference or even every hallway where someone can say, here's something I would like help with. Here's my contact information. Call me, text me, email me, or even more to the case, I'll be over here in this area set aside. I'll be at table seven, or I'll be at these couches over here by the windows. And if you want to talk about it, come over and chat with me about it. And the challenge with CLE in particular is that lots of the kinds of things that really anchor in with learning styles and anchor in with what works now don't necessarily. They're not necessarily easy to sell to an audience who's not experienced them before. So that's problem number one. Mm -hmm. And the second problem is that uh, they don't fit into the boxes that the regulators require to give CLE credit. Mm -hmm. And so many people will say, it's easier to do what we did last year because first of all, we've got the grid. It's less work. We know the rooms we need, et cetera. Uh, But but it's already been approved versus trying to go to bat and argue for an alternative format. I'll tell a story. I went to... uh, ACLEA, the Association of Continuing Legal Education Administrators. And about six or seven years ago, they asked me to keynote their conference. And I was a member. I was doing CLE at the time, more than I am now. And I asked everyone to raise their hand and say, how many of you are getting credit for this moment right now? And no one's hand went up. This was a conference of CLE professionals. It wasn't for lawyers. And I chastised them. I said, shame on you. This is where we should be experimenting. This is where the stakes are as low as they'll ever be. And if we try something new in this event, guess what? If it fails, we all have learned something. We might think of ways to try something different or modified in our situation. And if it works, how awesome is that for us to not only bring it back to our board, bring it back to our conference planners, uh, but to also leave with a handful of peers who are going to try it at the same time. And I think so much of what happens in conferences and why they stay the same is that conferences are really hard to plan. And... The logistics of conferences are incredibly difficult. Uh, If you're working with a hotel and you're not a conference expert, uh, I often believe that hotels are like strip clubs. They're designed (laughs) to take every penny out of your pocket and they don't care how you feel the next day. You go through a tremendous amount of headache and energy just to get empty rooms that might have microphones on a table. Mm -hmm. And so then to add to that, the pain of content it's really, really difficult and that bandwidth oftentimes doesn't, there is not enough of it left over to also be creative with a conference. Uh, most of the meeting innovation that's happened in the last 25 years uh, has been us making meetings better by making everything but the meeting better. I think that there's, there's there's a sense that the meeting is is immutable. It has to say the same. So let's make sure that luau is awesome. <laughs> you know, let, let, let's make sure our app is sponsored and has all the cool things on it. Let right. you know. Let, let's make sure the bags are really, really great this year. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and 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 and. But the meeting's still exactly the same, right?
1: I, I go to an unconference every year, and I, I'm I'm a big fan of this and. I think it scares people because the way that you prep and and fill those rooms is a little bit different. but the way this one works is leading up to the conference. you know they they open the proposed pitches at some point and anybody anybody who wants to give a talk or have a room can have a room um, and and that starts a few months before the conference, I think um, and you you put up the title for it, you put up a short description, and then they assign you to a room. And you can do this. At any point, you can do it in the, in the middle of another conference. You can um, throw up on Twitter or on the conference website. Um, I'm breaking off right now to go talk about something else. Uh, the idea being that the, the point of each of those sessions is to spark ideas and conversation. And so people will have sessions that they don't have anything to say. They just want to attract people who are thinking about that idea so that they can ask questions of the audience. Um, or they will give presentations. There's a lot of sharing. Here's a cool thing I'm working on. I'm wondering if any of you guys are doing it because here's a problem that I'm trying to solve. Right. And it, I think devoting a morning um, or even an entire day to that would be a really interesting thing. Um, what's a better way to, to make use of those spaces in between presentations? At our solo small conference, uh, it's traditionally... Um, they have vendor bingo so that you go around and visit each of the exhibitors in the vendor hall, um, which doesn't <laughs> is not super effective. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, how could you how could you maybe spark conversations in those spaces better?
0: I think there's a couple ways. One is to make the spaces bigger.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if if the space between sessions is titled vendor hall break. Guess what? <laughs> people are going to break and go to the vendor hall or more likely find a couch if they can and answer emails. If the time between sessions is entitled five minutes before the next session begins, people are going to run to the restroom and they're not going to have that time for that conversation to engage with folks. I think a very simple thing is to to, to say, here's four quadrants of this big room we're in. And if you have a problem with this thing, go here. If you have a problem with this thing, go here. If you want to figure out this thing, go here. And just try and group people in that way. That's a super simple way to do it. But even the vendor thing is is something that is overlooked vendors. And I know you guys have been vendors as well as participants in conferences. The vendors, the big secret is the vendors pay for most of the event. Yep. And yet in many cases, they're relegated to an exhibit hall and not even allowed to attend the sessions. (laughs) And in some conferences, there's this anathema to even have a vendor up on stage present anything. And for me, the vendors are the only people who spend all their time thinking about the problem their product solves.
1: Right. And some people are there. Some people are really do want to learn how to use their product better. That
0: that's right. So so get first of all, give the vendors an opportunity to participate to help problem solve. and you can you can combat the. A tendency for some to sell all the time by telling them the moment some, three people complain about you being overly selling, you get uh, you, your your credential gets pulled. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> we'll but send to, you back out to the vendor hall. We'll send you back out to the, <laughs> the vendor hall. Uh, but even think about the Iron Chef sort of, uh, get, you know, giving mul- and other conferences are doing this, giving multiple vendors a uh, short amount of time to solve the exact same problem with their product. Hmm. Or even give them the the a minute and a half pitch to say, "Here's why we're great," and by the way, visit us over here.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because if you go to a conference, legal tech is happening right now as we record as we're recording this. And you go to that exhibit hall, and of course, there's lots of e-discovery vendors, but every fifth booth is e-discovery. There's not an e-discovery aisle right. or floor, so you're even very difficult to compare those vendors. And mm-hmm. so by making the vendor experience better by giving them a bit more visibility, what you start to do is you start to lessen the necessary time in the vendor hall for people to actually engage and get what they want besides the pen uh, and, the, and the Hershey Kiss or the Lifesaver as they sneak it off the vendor table. Uh, but you also give the chance for people to talk more and just be a bit more at peace with, I've got 30 minutes between, before my next session. Let me talk with you. Name tags are another thing, mm-hmm. right? So let's say that you have seven significant challenges that you've decided your conference attendees have. Uh, you know, a triangle means uh, I'm a solo and I'm trying to figure out how to open my practice. I'm in practice mm-hmm. for less than a year, right? Mm-hmm. A star means whatever. Uh, it sounds like a Lucky Charms commercial. <laughs> but, but now all of a sudden, just by having some of those kind of things on the name tag, I'm more likely to pop in, shake a hand of someone that I see in the hallway and say, hey, you're, you're a new solo here too. Um, you're,
1: you're telling people something about you before you actually meet them. You have something in common. That's right. So Even if you've it, forgotten what the triangle means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that actually is something we've done in the past is we haven't told people what the symbols are. Mm, huh. And so part of their challenge is to figure out what they have in common by talking with other people who have the same symbol on their badge.
1: Interesting. I, I was kind of thinking um, even something as simple as before each break, uh, give people a, sort of a discussion problem that they can take out into the hallways or to the coffee bar um, and bring vendors into if they want to. Um, just say, hey, well, you know, for this next break, let's talk about how you or your firm is planning to survive the next five years or or how your firm is planning to get its next five clients in the door or, or whatever, how, how your firm is dealing with uh, you know, the experience of uh, com- competing with document assembly uh, services or or whatever. Just give people something to talk about besides go forth and network. There,
0: there, there's, there's two ways that we've actually dealt with that. One is is the simplest way, and we've done this uh, dozens and dozens of times. We'll put in the middle of a table a fishbowl, and in that fishbowl, there'll be 30 or 40 cards, kind of like fold-over invitation size cards. And in the card, there'll be a question. Uh, My biggest challenge in the next 10 years is dot, 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 you know, things like that that are open-ended and people can draw a card, share it with the people at their table and ultimately uh, answer the question. They can write their answers if they want, which gives you a way to collect some more information. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they don't like the question, they throw it away and they pick another one. Hmm. Uh, And so even, and we found this to work in every type of person. I just did an event with a hundred people from a financial uh, services area of a hospital system. And I was nervous that they weren't even talking loud enough to hear each other across Hmm. the table. But by the end of the day, they were actually completely engaged because they were talking about something that was important to them.
1: Well, I would say some of this stuff sounds kind of cheesy, but I think that even if all you've accomplished is getting people to talk about how cheesy it is, you've sparked conversations that weren't happening otherwise.
0: Well, And and I would say, Sam, that I know your uh, tolerance for – your level of cynicism and your tolerance for novelty (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> uh, often intersect in odd places.
1: I know I'm a terrible uh, gauge for things, but yeah. <laughs>
0: but but here's what we found: is that if you're asking them meaningful questions that are, that align with the purpose of why they're there, no one thinks it's cheesy. Yeah, right. Well, that makes uh, a lot y- of sense. You know, you're not you're not asking. You know, I, this is what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. You know, we're, we, you're not asking them uh, to share what color underwear they're wearing,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? You're asking them to talk about the reason why they're there. Uh, but another thing that works really really well. And it can be a very brief exercise. It fits perfectly in kind of the, in, these interstices between other events. Uh, is you give people a challenge with a bit of an unreasonable constraint. So one of the ones we've used over and over again with lawyers is we've said your, your firm's biggest client uh, is, would love for you guys to continue to do their work, uh, but they are moving away from the billable hour. Uh, they detest it so much, uh, not only will they not allow you to charge them by the hour, but if they know you track time, they will fire you.
3: Hmm.
0: How do you price your services and measure quality, value, and service? And so, now, so workshop it. Workshop. So so very few. The, the, and the, the unreasonable constraint is what gets people to be creative because it is so unlikely a client would say you can't track time, period, even though I think more should.
3: <laughs>
0: uh that it's far easier for them to have an interesting discussion. And you give them five minutes. You give them 10 minutes. So now all of a sudden you've solved this problem. And then what happens is as you try and pull them into the next activity or try and say, okay, now it's time to move, you can't get them to move from the table because they keep talking about it. Yep. And, 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 and and one third thing, I'm not trying to give away all my secrets, but one of the third <laughs> things that, that has worked really, really well, especially with lawyers, is you give them a challenge, you put, you pair them up with a handful of other lawyers Uh, And you ask them to try and build the perfect firm
3: Mm -hmm.
0: from scratch. And so all the things they can't do because their partners or their spouses or their economics wouldn't allow them to do, you remove that constraint from them. And instead, they get a bit of a blue sky conversation. And the next thing you know, really cool things start happening. And even if they can't build the firm they want back home, four or five or six of the ideas they have become, oh, we could actually do that. And, and, and they bring it home and they come back with solutions uh, more than just what scanner to buy or right. what, uh, you know, what uh, operating system to use.
1: Well, I've always liked that idea, too, of, um, you know, just stop every so often. Maybe it's yearly, maybe it's weekly, um, you know, with, with lawyers, it feels like it's daily. But um, but and imagine what you wish your business looked like or if you're going to start over what would it look like? Knowing what you know now, your experience, knowing where technology is, knowing where the market is, how would you do it if it were, if you were starting from scratch and then can you come up with steps to get your firm today to where, to that firm that you just imagined? And yeah, maybe it won't work. Maybe there are obstacles, but maybe you can still pull some really good things out of that and move in that direction. I think it's a super useful exercise. I love that idea.
0: And there, there's a fascinating thing that happens to us when we're planning for the future is we can imagine literally limitless possibilities, right? I can think this could happen and this could happen and this could happen. It's why when we buy houses, we're shocked when we move in that all the space we thought we had is filled up with the exact crap we had in our old house. <laughs> and, and, and so one of the things that we do, and this, uh, I wish that we could claim uh, that this was our exercise from the beginning, but it's remember the future. There's something different that happens when you ask people to remember a specific course of events, even if it hasn't happened yet.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So we'll quite regularly put our customers uh, five years into the future, uh, prompt them with a bunch of questions and ask them what happened from 2016 to 2021? What was the most surprising thing? What was the biggest technological challenge? What practice area are we in that we didn't think we'd be in?
1: That's a great thought exercise. I, I give that to people too when I'm talking about how to survive the next five years or 10 years or whatever is... Here, here's. Imagine your firm is successful. You weathered all the changes. Now, tell me how you got there. I, I love that. That's a great thought exercise.
0: And for many of them, I think it's going to be. I got out of law practice and opened a
1: car. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, if you had to, I'm going to give you the last word here. I, this has been a really uh, fun conversation and thought provoking. But if if I were um, if I were planning a conference or or even just one presentation um, or a big meeting. Um, what is the lowest hanging fruit? What's the easiest thing that I can do um, to, to make it a better conference or a better meeting or a better presentation um, than, than the one that I probably was going to plan otherwise?
0: I, I think part, part of me, the low hanging fruit for me to answer that is to find someone who actually has done this stuff before, uh, who's been creative. It's, uh, it's really hard uh, to, to innovate on the margins uh, and think things are creative in your particular space when you haven't spent any time consuming these things elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people who are in the legal CLE business, their conferences are um, with other legal CLE providers or it's the own conferences they they present. They're not spending time thinking about what conferences can be because they're heads down in the weeds of their own.
1: So go to so, a conference from that's not in the legal tech space or the solo small space um, or even in the legal space.
0: You should be consuming... Uh, and have your people consume as many different kinds of conferences. The learning you're going to get is not going to be the learning going to what your competitors are doing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as lawyers know, uh, there was one com- one lawyer one time said, man, these scales of justice would look really good in a Yellow Pages ad. <laughs> And, and 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 all of a sudden, like, oh, man, my competitor's doing that. I should do the exact same thing. I think it was actually
1: uh, Stone at the time that that, that started.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so pre, yeah. For, forget the precedent, I think, piece <laughs> among your competitors. If, if, if you follow what they're doing, uh, you're going to get the exact same conference that all your attendees are getting year after year, whether they're for, coming in your state or not. Uh, but the thing that I, I would like to share, and it's one of the things that I'm excited about Filament, and I would not be a very good salesman if I didn't at least talk about this for a moment, is that we really think that... Uh, the challenge in building great conferences is that there's too many things you have to do. Uh, and there's oftentimes a bifurcation of the, of the agenda. The, the person who's planning the content is rarely the person who's planning the space mm-hmm. and because the space often happens years ahead of time. And so the person who's planning the content is oftentimes given the rooms, given the setup, oftentimes even given the way the tables will be arranged. Right. Um, uh, and there's only so much you can do with that. So, so at Filament, it's a turnkey conference. You, you can't rent it. You can't rent our space. You've got to buy the entire event. We facilitate. We design. But we've built space that is cool and interesting and is built for the kinds of meetings we want to give. And our meetings are built for the kind of space we have. So the more you can get the conference planners, you know, the content owners, uh, together with the logistics events planners early in the planning stage and start to say, what might we do differently you're going to find a dramatically uh, a, a dramatically better opportunity to try new things. And and the other thing is is to look to look to see what the people on the edges are doing on the cheap. You know, look to mm-hmm. see what your educators in your community are doing. Go to anything that's labeled unconference or bar camp or those sorts of things. Go to these innovation events and keep a, you know, I, I kind of keep that tickler file of all the cool things you've seen, mash them up on a table, mix them around. And say, how can we try something new here? Uh, and and the last thing I would say to that, and this is something that's really really hard because of the way regulators work, uh, but if you must have a beta stage, right? It may be, or have a beta room, have a have one track that's designed in your multi-track conference to try new things. And I've always been I've always been impressed uh, with a handful of CLE providers, and I am friends with the folks there in Minnesota. I think Frank and Peter and that team. Uh, have done a really nice job trying to bring new things in. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Uh, But with CLE providers, there's still a tendency to underestimate your audience's tolerance for novelty. Right. And today, more than ever, people are looking for something different uh, and will embrace it if it it scratches the itch they have to learn from others, connect, and walk out with a better practice than they walked in with.
1: Matt, if people are not yet ready to move their conference to St. Louis. Um, can they still engage your services or get help from you in planning their own?
0: They can. We we hope uh, the filament model is not a St. Louis-centric model. We are uh, hoping after we get this one off the ground and starting doing events that we start to put them around the country. Fantastic. So, hopefully, there will be a filament coming soon to you uh, because meetings suck everywhere. <laughs> It's, it's not just a uniquely Missouri or Midwestern thing. Uh, but absolutely. One of the things that we've incorporated in filament and we haven't talked about at all, but I have a design and strategy consulting uh, background as well. All of our meetings have people who draw. Uh, we're drawing live in our sessions. Uh, we're really trying to incorporate design thinking, visualization, and hitting on more than just the auditory, you know, the auditory centers when you're trying to learn, but the kinesthetic as well, we're in you know mindfulness, we're talking about, improv. We're using movement. Uh, It's really trying to reimagine uh, a conference if you could start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so if someone wants to give us a call or uh, reach out, uh, go to www.thefilament.com. That's filament as the thing inside a light bulb that lights up when you have an idea
1: and we will make sure and link to it matt thank you so much for being with us today and i hope you've inspired some people to try some crazy new things uh, and innovative new things with their meetings and seminars and conferences
0: i appreciate it sam thank you so much for having me
1: To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.